Hello, I'm Richard Courts, Chief Executive of the British Council for Offices, the BCO, and welcome to the latest in a series of interviews we're calling The New Normal. Each week I talk to a prominent member of the BCO about the coronavirus and its impact on the office. Now, the focus of this week's discussion is the workplace and the occupier, and I'm absolutely delighted to say that my guest to discuss this is Despina Katsikakis, the head of Occupier Business Performance at Cushman and Wakefield. So welcome, Despina. Great to be here, Richard. I'm very grateful to you for spending some time with us. For those who may not know, Despina is an architect by training and started off in Chicago, and what a fabulous place to study architecture. Had a stint at Perkins and Will, then postgraduate studies in London at the Architectural Association, that hotbed of international talent. And it was there, of course, that Despina met Frank Duffy and joined DEDW. And the rest, as they say, is history. So straight on to questions, Despina, if, if I may. And my first is office-based workers have now, of course, effectively become prisoners in their own homes. And how do you think the lockdown has affected the well-being and productivity of employees? Well, that's a great question, Richard. So let me start by saying that, first of all, we knew quite a bit about remote workers' behaviours. Um, as you know, at DHW, we talked about remote working since the late, the mid-90s, actually, from 1995, we started looking at how flexibility of how, when, and where you work should be a key part of the way organizations plan their space. Uh, what we never really looked at is this intensification of everyone being remote. And on a very personal level, I found that very interesting because I've not had a desk in over 25 years. And suddenly I am at my desk. 12 hours a day, which is quite shocking for me. So I have lost my flexibility. I have lost all of my empowerment and I am stuck in a virtual tunnel of communication. Just stepping back more interestingly, we had at Cushman Wakefield been doing quite a lot of research into remote workers before COVID. And we had over 2.7 million data points on the experiences that actually make people more productive, more engaged, working remotely. And we knew that the top three elements were remaining connected to culture, being able to have effective remote communication like we're doing today, and having the ability to manage their mental and physical well-being. So your question is actually spot on because that is one of the most critical elements. So one of the first things we did was we summarized the key findings and distributed them to our clients so they could begin to provide some pointers. But we also pivoted our survey uh, to make it experience per square foot at home and sent it to our occupy our clients for free and to our employees to actually see what was really happening and what the shifts have been. What's really changed between before and today? And there's some interesting things there that we can, 
we can explore uh, if you want to get deeper into the data. Well, I would, I would love to, and we'll, we'll come, I'm sure we will come to that in, yeah. in the course of the conversation, Despina. And I, I love that, you know, having not had a desk for 25 years, and as you say, it is, it is quite extraordinary. And you yes. know, we are all sort of, you know, trapped. I'd, I'd like to, I've got some questions on technology I'm going to come on to a bit later, but I'd, I'd like to come on at this stage, if I may, to, to the impact on the office of the future. And so we, we, we're, we're having this sort of, this mass experience, you know, this sudden and mass experience of, of working from home. And in terms of, of, there's so much we could discuss, but in terms of the, the impact, the, how that will affect the future of the office. Yeah, well, um, I think it's fascinating. As I said, it's something I've personally spoken about for 25 years. Why hasn't it happened? And I think there is a fundamental reason why it hasn't happened, and it, it is about trust. So most managers, whilst having enabled their people to work remotely, actually lack that level of trust. There, there were all these myths, you know, are people really working from home or doing their laundry or hanging out with the kids? What are they really doing? And what we found, I think, in the last three weeks is a complete reversal of that myth of the fact that when people work from home actually they weren't working they were having the friday off uh, what we're seeing is that people are working significantly longer hours than they were before the companies that had enabled their people to work with the right technology can actually see the evidence in real time. And we're seeing that remote collaboration has increased exponentially. So the trust suddenly is no longer an issue. Managers suddenly feel that, well, my people can work remotely. So what does that mean in terms of the future of the office? Well, what we're finding, particularly through the survey I mentioned earlier, is that whilst workplace performance and experience has remained quite stable. What has changed fundamentally and what m people really miss is the social element, the human interaction of the office. Now, um, ironically, you know, I've always described the, the future of the office as being a social condenser, uh, a place that um, allows for intermittent uh, and serendipitous encounters and meaningful connections, face-to-face -face connections. And I definitely have to say I have been very encouraged by the fact that the data we're receiving real-time now is indicating exactly that. So what that means is that as we look to go back to the office, and this is an interesting piece here because we keep hearing in the media about people going back to work, well, actually, we're not going back to work. What we're exploring is whether we go back to the office. For office-based workers, most of us are still working. So as we go back to the office, what is that office that we need to go back to? That is absolutely fascinating, this And you're, you're quite right because, you know, I put my hands up. I haven't really sort of thought about that before, but we, we hear constantly about going back to work, as you say. And we are all working, in, but just in a different way. But we're also working extraordinarily hard. And I had a, 
chat, a similar discussion with Ken Shuttleworth uh, last week, and, and he was talking about how exceptionally hard it is working. <laughs> and I think one of the, one of the, the problems is that, that there is the, the demarcation between work and, and, and escaping from work. Uh, Everything becomes even more blurred mm. than before. But the trust point, I could not agree more. I think it is, there was the, very much this feeling that, that, you know, people who weren't in the office were somehow skiving. I think that has inflated mm. that that myth. I'll, I'll come on, if, if I may, to um, how those expectations, when we do get back to the office, as and when we do, if we do, um, what it might look like. So, so looking at um, the occupier, how do you think, Despina, that the demands and expectations of the end user, the occupier, might be changed by the experience of mm. coronavirus? Well, I, I think that increasingly uh, our occupier clients will embrace flexible working as the norm. What that means is that they will go from the notion of the office being a single place that you go to work to, to actually leveraging a network of physical and virtual places that allow you to do your work. And, and the reason for that is, is really um, has many business areas of value. So if we think about carbon, right, um, people that do flexible working have 47% less carbon than people that commute daily. Uh, people that work from home a couple of days a week typically leverage their commute times to be working and report much higher work-life experiences and perceive themselves to be much more productive. We've seen reports in the last couple of years that indicate that more than 30 to 40% of people would actually trade pay for flexibility. So with, with that data, and with the evidence today that actually work can continue in a remote form, I think we will begin to see two things happening. Remote flexible portfolios of different locations, much more regional, local work points. So I'd much rather cycle for 10 minutes and go somewhere near my home to meet others to work then have to commute on southwest trains for an hour when they're running <laughs> so that is going to be a big part of it we're also going to begin to see a different impact on design and that's what i think is very exciting because the design of the office will now need to become a place that is inspiring and compelling for you to actually want to go to, to go to have these unique experiences, to meet your colleagues, to learn together, to collaborate, to innovate, to be creative. So there is no point any longer in commuting to go and sit in a row of desks and do your email because we've proven we don't need to do it anymore. 
Absolutely right. No, quite, quite fascinating. As a fellow Southwest Trains commuter, you know, <laughs> I, I can empathise completely with that. One of your observations there, and and it's fascinating on the sort of the regional hubs, the local offices. This has come out in some other conversations I've been having in in recent weeks, and I, I can see some very significant change here. I'd like to move on, if I may, to technology mm. and. Um, it's something that I know you, you know you have an amazing experience of, and DDW really embraced thinking on this, you know, perhaps before anyone else. But do you think, Despino, the will the experience of the pandemic have a greater impact on the future of office design than the recent revolution in portable technology? And by that I mean we're all walking around with supercomputers, iPhones in our pockets. We're speaking through Zoom on, on a laptop and all the rest yeah. of it. We're used to portable technology. It has, an, it has an extraordinary impact. But will the pandemic have an even greater impact? Absolutely, without doubt. And, and the reason comes back to the, uh, the going back to work or going back to the office argument that we hear in the media day to day. So we've, um, as you know, uh, pulled together the experience we've had from um, moving already over a million people back to work in China and looked at that as a way to begin to prototype and create new solutions for our clients. So we've created a recovery readiness guide and one of the fundamental aspects of that recovery readiness guide is how do you leverage technology in different ways to create touchless experiences? So starting from a very basic you know, infrared technology to be able to map whether I have a fever or not to enter the building, to how we activate technologies that were already in play but we didn't necessarily leverage as effectively. So facial recognition, voice activation, gesture activation. But to your point, our personal devices, I really believe that our personal device will be the critical interface between us and the workplace as we look to the future. It will allow us to access the building. It will allow us to access our floor, access what room, what part of the office we want to use, find others, be able to adjust the light, the quality of air, make our own experience. So I, I often think about the office as a state set where ubiquitous technology allows us to manage that very personal interface between us and the building. And I think just the simple fact that 80% of disease is passed through our hands will suddenly accelerate the use of all this interface more than we could ever imagine. Fascinating. It sounds as if there, there's um, quite a revolution, quite a revolution to come. And, and certainly I, I, I could not agree more. I think touchless technology and, and, and so on and so forth and using what we have and its relationship with the office, we're looking at something quite Radical. I'd like to move on, Despina, if I may, to cost. Now, as as we both know, and it's, it's very much part of the BCO's mantra, you know, uh, property is a relatively small proportion of the total mm -hmm. cost for most businesses. It's generally 10 to 15 percent, with 85 percent or so the bulk being property. There, there's being being the payroll. 
there's lots of talk at the moment, unsurprisingly, about we don't need offices anymore, we'll just get rid of them, they're just an unnecessary cost. But it's a knee-jerk reaction. But do you feel that with, that is simply a false economy? I mean, it's just not looking at, at the business as a whole in, in a sensible way. And the main cost, of course, is the people and facilitating how they how they operate. Absolutely. And I think, I think what's interesting, it's almost, uh, in a way, what's happened is it's, it's given power back to the people because the people can choose now, right? And the people have a bigger say than ever before. I don't believe the office is going away. I absolutely do not believe that. I think what we perceive to be the office is going away. And I think we will be using a completely new paradigm of what we consider the office to be. But at the end of the day, Richard, we are social creatures. We want to be together. And nice as this is for me to look at you over Zoom, and we can do it quite effectively, it lacks the spontaneity of us being in a meeting together. And creativity happens at that intersection. Not surprisingly, from our data, the teams that suffer most from this moment are agile collaboration teams who use whiteboards to begin to have this innovative exchange in an ad hoc way. Sales teams that are extroverts and need that social contact. So I absolutely think um, it's a very, it's an oversimplistic thought that that, you know, the office will go away. I, I could not agree more. I mean, I, I would say that, wouldn't I, doing the job I do. <laughs> but it, I mean, you mentioned serendipity in, in an earlier part of the conversation, Despina. And again, to me, that is absolutely fundamental. It is the, the cliche of the water cooler moment, walking over to somebody's yeah. desk, having a coffee, and also the fun bits. I mean, the bits, you know, this is very effective. It does work. And I think we've Absolutely. all been astounded by how effective technology most of us have not really used and often never heard of is, is working. But it's not nearly as much fun. And the bits yeah. that I really like about my job, which is having lunch with people, having conversations, you know, spontaneous meetings. Exactly. It, that's the bit that you can't mm -hmm. do virtually. Well, it, uh, it's, it's going to date me again, Richard, I'm afraid, but uh, um, back in 1998, um, we put forward at DHW the, the concept that as technology was becoming so mobile, the city was actually the extension of the office. And we were at that time starting to use coffee shops and the public realm as an extension of work. And therefore, our assumption was that as the more the city became the office, the more the office needs to be designed as a city to support those unique experiences and moments. And if you think about the, the cities, the places that we're all gravitating back to, they are places that provide those unique, memorable experiences and serendipitous encounters. And that is exactly why the office will not go away. Well, in, in, indeed, so. And I, I'm, I'm conscious of time, Despina, but I've got one more that I can't resist because I think it is enormously important. And it, it 
something that, that I know you said, which is our industry is, is very good at looking backwards. But I just, I just wonder whether <laughs> this crisis that, you know, none of us saw coming just a few weeks ago, and we're all in this sort of parallel universe. I feel often I'm in a sort of J.G. Ballard novel. It's quite yeah. surreal. But, but do you think this crisis will provide a catalyst for the industry to look forward in a way it's never done before? I sincerely hope so. And I think one of the most important lessons for me for the industry is that, um, and you've heard me say this a number of times, I think as an industry, we always want the answer, the definitive answer. What is the right solution? What's the right density? What's the right sectional height? We want an answer. We specifically launched our recovery readiness document as a living document. And we took the point that we can no longer have an answer. We need to remain almost in a constant prototype, co-creative state and evolve dynamic answers that respond to the dynamic nature of business and the dynamic nature of life and the unexpected events that will come. And I think that is a very different way of us as an industry behaving. I think it's a very exciting way and I sincerely hope that we will embrace it. Well, that's a, that's a positive way to end. Sadly, we are out of time. It's been absolutely fascinating, Ms. Bina. Um, an enormous pleasure to talk to you as Likewise. always. I am very grateful. I hope uh, you've all enjoyed it as much as I have. And until next time from Despina and from me, thank you very much and goodbye.